Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter and I'm your host, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Now today I wanna introduce you to my friend, Stacy Robbins. She's a coach, speaker, Italian retreat leader, and an incredible author. She's written three books, all of which are available on Amazon, An Unconventional Life Where Messes and Magic Collide, You're Not Crazy and You're Not Alone, and Bloom Beautiful. Now, just a little bit of background on Stacy before we begin our conversation. Her career began as a professional musician when she was just 15, and she worked as a songwriter, pianist, and vocalist. But she hit a major health bump at the age of 27, and it dramatically shifted her life. All sorts of misdiagnoses, and she gained 100 pounds in just a year. She was becoming so sick that she could barely get out of bed. And doctors actually told her that her life was about over. So Stacy began pursuing health from a deeply spiritual angle. And through years of research into Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition that affects the thyroid and therefore every cell in your body, she has been able to speak all over the United States and reach people all over the world. Not only does she write and coach, Stacy creates amazing transformational self-care experiences through her international retreats and workshops. She empowers women to risk adventure as a way to live from what she calls their brave soul place. Now, beyond all these things, Stacy is my friend, and I have the opportunity to draw upon her wisdom regularly, and that's why I want you to meet her. Anyone who has the opportunity to encounter her is profoundly impacted, and I believe that will include you as well. You can learn more about her at stacyrobbins.com, and if you're listening on an iPhone, simply swipe up for the show notes and all the links to her social media accounts. Okay, let's jump into my conversation with Stacy Robbins. Thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us today. My pleasure. You know, I love being with you anytime I can, David Trotter. <laughs> yes. So we talk about a million things every other day, and we can talk about a lot of things today, but specifically on this episode, I wanted to talk to you about risk-taking because you are a very risky person. (laughs) I'm going to put that on my next business card. I'm a very risky person. (laughs) Don't spell it wrong because people might think you say risque. That would be (laughs) awkward. So we're not talking about risque-taking today. We're talking about risk-taking today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start off by kind of a wide open question on why do you believe that risk taking is an important quality to cultivate in not only your life, but I assume you think that's a good quality to cultivate in most of our lives. Yeah, I do. I think for me, I am so committed to growing, to evolving, to ascending, to learning. And because of that, um, that value for growth, I see risk-taking as a really important value because when you live sort of in your comfort zone, I don't know that we see so much that's new about ourselves, but when we step out onto the edge of the precipice of whatever it is that feels risky to us, then we encounter some new feelings or some new bravery or some new revelation about ourselves, or some place where we want to have a new bravery or, or, or new experience with ourselves. And, and that gets provoked in us through risk-taking. And so because I value personal growth and development, I value taking risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So think about like when you were growing up, did you feel like, like, as you look back do you go, yeah, I was a, I was a big risk taker. Or do you feel like you've cultivated this more because you were less of a risk taker or not to judge yourself in the past, but you know what I mean? Like looking back, how do you see yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Because I, when I look back, I see somebody who lived, you know, just such an interesting experience of life. And, you know, was I somebody who was going to, you know, go hang gliding or was I going to take drugs? You know, that seemed risky. Or was I going to, you know, do some things that maybe were dangerous? Was I going to go into the woods at night? Um, you know, when it was dark and you hear, you know, I mean, those, you know, those kinds of things. I don't know that I was so risk taking in that way. I think I had some experiences that were kind of foist upon me that gave me opportunities to tap into bravery inside of myself. And then that might've awakened some new risk-taking. For example, like my parents, they had grown up in the same houses um, down the street from each other in New Jersey. And then when they got married, uh, they wanted to move a lot. 
And so, you know, my life had a lot of transitions. So when you're moving to new schools and you're having to make new friends and you're joining new programs and you're the new one, I think you're automatically like thrust into risk-taking, so to speak, kind of opportunities. And when you do that, you, you stretch and you grow and you find some things that maybe start feeling more second nature to you over time. So those things don't seem so risky to you, you know? So I think that I had some of those in my childhood. I think I was probably a pretty conscious person like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't do that. We could get hurt. And then I did other things that were kind of risky, like standing on top of the biggest hill in our town on my roller skates, you know, without thinking about what it would be like to get to the bottom. I don't know if that's risk-taking or just unconsciousness. I don't know. But um, I had a good... Did I, I went down. Yeah. And went down over and over and over again. So I think I had some parts of me that loved the thrilling, um, risk-taking parts, but then I think that I was also a little bit more cautious in, in other ways. I grew up in a family where I don't think risk-taking was like uh, uh, appreciated necessarily. It wasn't, not that it wasn't appreciated, but it wasn't uh, encouraged, let's just say. Like one of the things that I have written about and I think is hilarious is that my mom has said that I could never have white shorts, <laughs> right? White shorts. That is like probably my mom's ultimate risk. Like if you wear white shorts, you know, cause you just go, they're going to get dirty, you know? So I could never have white shorts. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you know, it was always a kind of a be careful kind of deal. And I see the positive intention of that is my mom's wanted me to be careful, of course, but yet my parents moved our family in between my sophomore and junior year of high school from Kentucky to California. It was a huge risk, even though my dad had a job that transferred him. Like you said, you moved a lot and that was a big risk for my family. And it was forced upon me to now move into this new high school where I had an accent and just, oh my gosh, that was just a nightmare, Stacey. But like, so when, when, whether we choose to take the risk or it's kind of thrust upon us. What, what do you break? If you wouldn't mind, just maybe break down for a minute. What's happening in our minds and bodies when we are confronted with this risk? You know what I mean? Like what goes through? Cause some of us don't slow down our thought process or, or what's going on. We just are either probably fight or flight. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. like maybe slow down for a minute what you see. Now, you coach a lot of clients. Obviously, you're super self-aware and super self-reflective. Um, what do you think is going on in our minds and our hearts when we're encountering risk? Well, you know, I'm gonna, I should start this off with um, one of the voices in my life that really spoke about the value of risking adventure was a philosopher, a Jewish rabbi, Edwin Friedman. And he, um, he died in like the mid 1990s. And, um, I was introduced to him around that time, um, after his death on a video. And I was so intrigued by this concept of stepping outside of our comfort zone. And what happens is he said, you know, our mind can only imagine up to a certain point, like we're wired to only imagine up to maybe the point of our experience or the point of things we've seen or that we've heard already. And he said, what happens is you when you take the risk, then what happens is your brain opens up, new neural pathways are created, and you now have the opportunity to access different parts of your brain that were beyond your imagination. And so for me, when I heard that, it really made sense. And this picture came to me of like somebody um, thinking about standing on the edge of the inside of a plane, like with a parachute on and all the gear. And, you know, we've all seen movies like that or James Corden with Tom Cruise, you know, as he's about to, you know, jump out of a plane for the first time. Like we have an imagination of what that would be like and what that would feel like. And the thought of our stomach dropping or how loud the wind might be in our ears or whatever it is. And, um, that temptation not to drop, to jump. And, but there is, that's a really different experience than being the person who goes through the training and all the gear and, and you're standing up there with the wind even louder than you imagine and hearing your heartbeat even louder than that. Like there's something about the experience that exposes us to access into our brain, our fears, our bravery, that, that internal strength, um, the stories that come 
up in our mind about our mortality or about our vulnerability. Like those things get confronted in a way that our imagination can't do. And so when you talk about like, what does our brain go through or what does our body go through? You know, I can tell about when I thought about going to Italy for the first time, you know, I had dealt with a lifetime of a fear of flying. And then when I was starting to work through the fears of flying that I had because my mom had been terrified to fly, her sister had been terrified to fly, their cousins had all been terrified to fly. I mean, we have hilarious stories about these people like ripping the skin off the stranger sitting next to them (laughs) while they're on a plane, you know, with their blood red fingernails and their Italian, (laughs) oh my God, New Jersey voices, you know. I mean, my aunt Nancy was crazy, like when the, remember when the seats flipped up and then you'd have to push them down. Remember when there was smoking on a plane? I mean, my aunt Nancy stood up when there was some turbulence. She unbuckled her seat. She stood up on the, on the seat and her, and faced everybody. She was in the first row. She faced everybody who was behind her and said, Oh my God, we're all going to die. Like she screamed this over and over. (laughs) And uh, my uncle is sitting there pretending to not know her, but I mean, the fear was really deep. And so I had this kind of embedded in me. And so it was a real conflict. I felt like Tom Hanks in the Truman Show, you know, like I had this real desire to to travel and explore and be at my homeland in Italy where my family was from, but I had a real fear about getting there. And so as I was working through fears and traveling throughout the country and I did my work as a musician and all this stuff, I had to play at certain gigs and I'd take contracts in other states. And um, so I had some experiences, but then I hit a health bump that kind of threw me it regressed me in some of that progress. And, and then I went five years without flying. And so the fear started to mount. And by the time I wanted to activate my dream, I was like, oh my gosh, now I need to be brave again and I need to get on a plane. And so that fear inside of me, when I faced it, And I created something that was so inspiring, like going to Italy, like meeting my family, like leading a retreat for other women. When when I got on the plane to do those kinds of things, the inspiration led me and and the fear met me. And I was able to see, you know, oh, my gosh, how am I reacting in the fear? But I also recognized and had experiences of the grace and kindness of strangers being comforting or a flight attendant being comforting. I had the experience of being able to take a deep breath and do all those spiritual practices and apply those meditative techniques that I had used and, and to see how they could come into action in a moment when I really needed it. Um, I kept myself so focused on the vision of being there and what the joy was about that I was able to work through some of the discomforts. Um, I was able to employ my faith and whatever prayerfulness I have. And so, and then I was able to land on solid ground on the other side and have the experience that now was added to me that no one could ever take away. And that was going to be able to speak to the fears that I had next time, because it wasn't just my imagination being able to speak to the fears. It was my experience. And so something was forever going to be different in me. And that's, you know, for me, that is, that's an example of how I I've worked through things and got myself to the point of, of taking new brave steps and facing my fears, being in my fears, using techniques to support me and tools to support me, allowing the kindness of the universe to meet me and know that I'm growing and be um, a supportive force towards my dreams coming true and then getting there and now building my life, not on my worst fears, but on my best experiences. And that is a really powerful place to get to. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, just to kind of break this down, you talked about and you're telling the experience of going to Italy for the first time after five years, you said, of not traveling, yes. uh, which is, that's a long time if you've been a traveler. And it's amazing to me. I don't necessarily have a fear of flying. I have a fear of crashing, just not of flying. And, um, but a lot of people do. That's not an uncommon fear, you know, to yeah. have that. Yeah. So um, you talked about that, uh there does seem to be, okay, I'm taking this risk. My brain says worst case scenario, call it rational or irrational in that moment. It's we're believing it, right? We're believing that worst case scenario in our minds. Yes. For, um, it's not somebody on the outside can say that's totally irrational, but that doesn't, obviously that doesn't help um, because your uncle 
probably said that to Aunt Nancy. Sit down, you know, right? This is irrational. So, um, so that there's something going on in the brain. But you said there's there's practices, right? Meditation, prayer, kindness of strangers, but also this vision that you had that got you through, right? It seems like that vision was a huge part of it. Is that yes. correct? Yeah, and that is what one of the things that has to lead us in our in our being willing to take to take risk in our life. It's sort of like I think of risk taking as inviting chaos via inspiration rather than waiting for life to come and slap us across the face. It's sort of like when I take a risk, what I'm saying is what inspires me that is worth having to my life that's worth willing that's worth going through the hard thing of facing my worst fears about it. Say, say that part, the last part, you're inviting chaos in the face of inspiration or because of inspiration, say it. Yeah. I'm, I'm inviting chaos via inspiration. Via inspiration. Yeah. Through the inspiration, I'm inviting chaos into my life because I know that the inspiration will get me there. And what will happen is it will create an opportunity for me to face my fears, my stories, my issues, my stuck places. And the inspiration will be the greater vision that I have that'll allow me to get to work through those fears and issues and stories so that I can live a life that's at a higher level, that's at a deeper joy, that's a more aliveness. So really there's no reason necessarily to take a risk unless there's an inspiration, unless there's a vision, unless there's a something that you're wanting to experience or have on the other side. Is that true? I think that when you're choosing it, yeah, you have choices um, because it's like you're in the luxury space of choices. But, you know, uh, how about the person? The choices are weird because, you know, I wrote about in my book, An Unconventional Life, where messes and magic collide. I wrote a chapter called The Veil of Fire. And it's a, it's a story that I had read after 9-11. And it was about um, one of the towers and, and one of the businesses that was in, uh, in the tower and this man and woman who had seen each other in the office of like several hundred people. So it was a huge office and they didn't cross paths often, but they saw each other and they knew each other by smiling and whatever, didn't know each other's names. They ended up being caught in the situation of, oh my God, we've got to get out of here. There's flames, the building's shaking. There's what is going on. There's explosion sounds, all of this. And, and what happened is they found themselves at the elevator um, filled with people, the doors open and they're ready to go down and they they get themselves on the elevator of all these people and they're you know trying to get to safety to the bottom floor and and as they're standing there the doors close and and they go down a couple of floors and then the doors suddenly open again and there's flames right outside of the elevator door and people are screaming banging on the buttons grabbing the door try to close it and this man and woman who didn't know each other they were like we got to get out of here and and the man had said to the woman, sometimes it's just, you know, it's, sometimes it's just a veil of fire and there's really oxygen on the other side. And so she, he's like, you want to try? And, and so in those brief seconds where they had this intense exchange, they grabbed hands, they went out of the elevator and they jumped through the flames and they found themselves on the other side. And it was, as he said, a veil. It wasn't a wall. It was a veil of fire. And they were able to run down the stairs, those other 50 something flights and go to safety. Whereas everybody who thought they were safe on the elevator died. And so, you know, sometimes we don't have the luxury of like one great choice or another of staying in the comfort of our lazy boy chair or flying to Italy and taking a rest. Sometimes it's really intense situations. Sometimes it's the unexpected news that your job is lost. Sometimes it's the unexpected news that someone you love has passed. Like, and then you find yourself confronted with the opportunity to take a risk. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you got to kind of figure out what is the inspiration? What do I want in the midst of this? Yeah. And that's a really hard thought to have sometimes when you're in the middle of grief or pain or surprise, you know, and so choosing um, risk-taking via adventure really puts you, even though kind of sets you up for feeling out of control in some ways, it, you are in a, in a powerful place of kind of controlling 
well, where do I, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Nothing's chasing me. I'm not going to be eaten by a bear. So I'm not making this situation under duress. I'm not making it by the power of wanting to have something um, really cool in my life or take my life to the next level. So I'm hearing this other voice that says responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Responsibility. I've got a family. I've got kids. I've got, you know, I don't know what's on the other side of those flames. Maybe it's just more flames. Um, you know, there's that fear of, of not wanting to take that next step. Like how, how do you balance, maybe balance is not even the right word. How do you sift through risk versus responsibility? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of like my husband, I'm I'm remembering years ago when the boys were little, we had a very established reputation in Southern California of playing music and performing. We had a huge following. We had a great income. Like we were living the California dream as professional musicians with young kids. And, and I, you know, was approached by somebody to go and do music in a small town in upstate New York with a village in a village with like, you know, two prisons. (laughs) And I was excited about it because I'm just weird. And, um, you know, my husband asked, good questions from like a sane and sound place. Like, and that's not just to go and perform and come back. Like that's the move there. Well, that was, um, I wanted to do a minimum of two years and the person who was bringing us out wanted to do two years. And you know, that can feel like a lifetime, um, mm-hmm. when it's scary, when something's scary it can seem like forever. And so rock, my husband said to me, Oh my God, but what if we don't like it there? And I just said, well, this is like, there's a revolving door in California. You know, it's not just one way you can go and you can actually come back. And so that was kind of the thing. It's in my mind, it's like, well, I moved a lot as a kid. And even though he moved a lot with his single mom, it was all within Costa Mesa and Newport beach. It was all really close. I, we did bigger moves and had to have more daring risks and adventures. So for me, I was like, Oh yeah, let's go do it. We can come back if it doesn't work. You know, and I, I think within myself, because I've had so many risk-taking experiences that were, you know, brought to my door, not just ones that I've taken, I, I have an inner trust. I have an inner sense of my resilience. And I think that's part of what gets cultivated, what's required for risk-taking and gets, gets cultivated by risk-taking. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you have two sons. Um, maybe tell us, uh, if you don't mind, you know, how old they are and particularly how have you sought to cultivate this quality of risk-taking in their lives or, uh, invite them into it or expose them to it. However you would say it. Mm-hmm. Caleb is 16 years old and he, and then his brother, Seth, my youngest is 14. And so, you know, how have I cultivated risk-taking in them? I think by normalizing risk, that you cultivate it. So when you're on the playground and you're feeling alone and and there's someone else standing over there and you're not sure if they want to be your friend, you know, walking over with your kid or encouraging them to go do that or encouraging them to walk away. If a kid's being a challenge, you know, to go, go be by yourself, even in the face of other people thinking you shouldn't be like, go be your own best friend. I think I've always kind of given those words of encouragement to them. I've lived as a risk taker with them. I mean, we did, we did something. Um, I was following my inspiration to um, take care of my health at a new level. I couldn't figure out why I was experiencing dizziness. So I thought, well, let me do this. Let me turn off all the breakers in our house, except for like the refrigerator. And, um, and then let's, and the washer and dryer, and let's live an indoor camping experience for 30 days. And so I sat the boys down and my husband down. And I'm like, okay, guys, I had this inspiration. What if we just turn off all the breakers and we live by candlelight, the light of day and the candlelight by night. And we'll go to bed and we'll just kind of be with each other in new ways. And I think the boys were like seven and nine or something like that, or five and seven or something. And they were like, yay. And I said, we'll, we'll finish all of this experiment in 30 days and we'll go to the redwoods and we'll go be in, in the forest with the trees and kind of be out in nature in a really groovy way and have an actual camping experience. And they were like, yay. And my husband's looking at me like, it's August. (laughs) You know, I like air conditioning. (laughs) I, I like eating hot cooked meals, you know? And I'm just like, okay, I know there's things that are 
maybe you're going to be uncomfortable about it. I didn't really think about it, but I said, you know, um, I was thinking about the benefits so much and that's why I shared the idea with them. But he was thinking, you know, oh my gosh, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And that's the hard thing when you're always engaging a group of other people. It's like, you have the vision, so you're willing to take the risk, but they're like, they they weren't signing up for this. Sure, sure. And so, for those for those who aren't aware, uh, the just it's not the light that was impacting that you were concerned about impacting your body. It was the, actually the electricity. Yeah, the electromagnetic frequencies, the EMFs. I was finding myself reactive to that. So I'd walk into Target and these or these other big box stores, and suddenly my brain would feel like it was sizzling. And I was like, "What am I going to do? Like, what's what can I do to help?" And I was trying food, nutrition spiritual practice, meditation. I was trying all these different things. And I was like, well, what if, what if I just reduce the EMF load in our home? And I try that and see if it helps. Cause every time I would go camping, I felt groovy. If I was out in the middle of the woods or at the ocean, I felt good. So that was part of the impetus. And so and ironically, it's not that risky, like externally, but in terms of relationships, it was risky, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Your husband could have been like, yeah, no, we're done. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go live in the car. At least yeah. I'll have electricity. You know, I can plug into the battery. <laughs> so it was relationship risky. Um, you know, I mean, I thought you were kind of weird, so it was mildly risky. Uh, I mean, that's what happened. Like you took, just as a side note, right? We're talking about risk. What was the, what was the experience of that? Yeah. And, and I do want to say this before I tell you the experience is that it was also risky because, you know, if you have any sense of pride or ego in you, you could risk feeling like a failure. If on day two, you're like, screw it. I'm uncomfortable too. I don't want to do this. Right, wow, candles, candles cost more than electricity. I don't want to pay that. You know, like this is uncomfortable, you know, and by day three, I had stepped on about a million Legos in the dark that I'd forgotten to pick up during the day, or we nearly lit our hair on fire. We all have long hair in our house. You know, we, we I put a candle on the back of the toilet and the first time you go to sit down and poop, you nearly light yourself on fire. You're like, maybe this isn't such a great idea. <laughs> She's not going to die by EMF. She's going to die by fire with her pants around her ankles. You know, it's just like, those were the realities of our experience. And, and the other realities were we got to like learn some of those lessons. Like, Hey, if there's a mess cleanup during the day, or if there's something you want to do in full light, like prioritize your time and then really respect the nighttime and let yourself be quiet. Like I noticed how, um, you know, if we had had our computers plugged and everything, uh, nighttime would have been just start artificial lighting, turn on all the lights and open the computer and, and create almost like a second day instead of having a true experience of night. And one of the things that we ended up encountering was like the night has its own energy. It has its own beauty. It has its own message for you and gift to you. And I think we bypass that very often because we're so busy, you know, like kind of extending our day and trying to add more hours to it instead of seeing what nature holds for us in its just natural rhythm of darkness. And it was super funny. I mean, we'd look out on the, at everybody's, you know, houses on the block and everybody had like the screens and the lights and the this and the that. And our house was dark every day. And, you know, it was really cool. I learned so many good things and I felt more peacefulness inside of myself. Um, and, there were times of boredom and you have to ask yourself, you know, like, what do you do when you're bored? You know, am I going to go back and revert to something? Am I going to sneak some technology? But if you let yourself give into it, then you get to experience the benefits of it. Well, we ended up after 30 days going to see the Redwoods and having a really profound experience. And what was cool is we walked into the hotel room. None of us thought to turn on the lights. <laughs> so we're walking in and we're in the dark. And then, you know, Seth was seven. My youngest was seven. That's right. And he, and he needed to take a shower after walking in the, in the woods. And, and I said, Sethy, it's okay if you want to turn on the, the light. Cause I knew we were in a new place and I didn't want to freak him out or anything. And he said, and the light was coming through the, um, the window and he said, no, mama, he said, I see the moon through the window. And he said, that's enough. I'd like to take a, I'd like to take my shower by the moonlight. And it was just really special to see what some of those res results were. And then we voted and the kids chose to keep going. And so we did it for four more years. Four more years. We did. Now, now how did you deal with, because I didn't catch this. How did you deal with like charging phones or using the computer or, you know, internet or how did you deal with that? I know people are think thinking that in their heads. Yeah. So what we did was we ended up um, with the way the breakers were wired in our home at that time, they were so funky. But what happened was one breaker actually was connected 
connected the refrigerator and the washer and dryer, which was funny. And um, another breaker left my husband's computer on in his office because he, he worked on, on call. So we had to honor that for the nights when he was on call for his tech job. And so that office had the, a computer and lights. So that's how we did it. And so that office was just kind of like off quarters except to charge phones and do that. But there were a couple of plugs that were working. Oh, and you know, when we were rated, you know, we were on Yahoo's top 10 list for a long time. And then someone switched us to the weird Yahoo list. And people are like, you're going to kill yourselves. You know, you're going to light your children on fire with those candles, you idiot. ABC News came out. The Orange County Register did a big, huge story on us. So, and what I got, in addition to some really trolly people, were people who were like, I'm going to try this. I'm really inspired. And I got follow-up of great experiences other people had afterwards. So it's groovy. It was a groovy time. Before we continue the conversation, I want to ask you for a quick favor. Will you subscribe to the Inspiration Rising podcast on the iTunes podcast app on your phone? Now, it's also available wherever you listen to podcasts. All you have to do is search for Inspiration Rising. Click subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Why? So you won't miss a single inspiring episode. We search for the most inspiring guests to help you rise up in your life, love, and leadership. And you don't want to miss out. So subscribe and then leave a quick review. Click some stars, preferably five, and leave a sentence telling me what you enjoyed the most. All right, let's jump back in to the conversation. I had the kids in, in a private school for a little while. Um, my oldest son went through some bullying when he was there. And, you know, it was pretty traumatic. Um, and he ended up pulling himself out of school. And it took me about four months to heal him. And it was kind of a crazy time. So while he was going through that, my husband ended up losing his job. The division was sold because they were the most profitable division and every person lost their job. And then I um, pulled my other son out of that school. And then we ended up trying a new school and um, my younger son was bullied there. And in the middle of all of that, our landlord came to us and said, hey, the construction's done on the property and I'm going to raise the rent three it was like, what, 30%. It was something ridiculous for Southern California. And I was like, oh my gosh, so much. In our, oh, and my youngest son got hurt in soccer and he ended up in a wheelchair for a couple of months. It was just like a crazy part of our year. And what I did was I was like, you know what, you guys, sometimes when life changes, it's inviting you to change your life. And so I said, what if, I sat everybody down and I said, what if we just leave? What if we decide to give up this place and, and not rent it anymore? And we sell a bunch of stuff and put the rest in storage. And what if we go on something called a magical healing adventure? And what if we do a book tour across the U.S. and we'll meet with people who read my books and then we'll buy one-way tickets to Italy and we're going to go heal and with gelato and we'll just be gone for however long it makes sense. And, you know, what people don't know about this is that we had tried to do a product launch during that time that my husband was out of work and I was trying to make things happen and heal my kids and all of this stuff going on, taking care of a kid in a wheelchair and another kid with bullying. It was just crazy. What they don't know is that I, I had come back from an event and my husband told me there was like a thousand dollars left to our name. So I had to dream all of this, not with the cushy plush kind of background of, well, you know, I've got my retirement that I can splurge and throw everything on black 21 in Vegas. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to build this from, from the ground up and go on inspiration alone. So those kinds of ways I think of cultivated adventure in my kids was through experience and, and showing them how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, kind of walked with you through that process. I know the details. We don't necessarily need to get in the details of how you made that happen. But you did end up putting, you sold tons of stuff. You put your remaining stuff in storage and you went to Italy for, well, no, 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 no. Let me back up. You drove all across the country and started doing these events all over the place. And people just started showing up and you're <laughs> selling books and you're, you know, coaching and leading workshops. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, this is a major risk and 
So how many weeks were you on the road in the U.S.? And then how many weeks did you spend in Italy before you came back to the United States? Yeah, so um, we left on February 29th on leap year. So that was really kind of a groovy departure date. And we took six weeks to go across the country. We did nine events, nine to 12 events. I can't remember um, in our time going across the country. And then we, uh, we bought one-way tickets to England and spent a week there. And then we flew down from England to Italy and we spent the amount you can stay legally was for 90 days. So we stayed for three months. And then during the time when we were there, uh, because of one of the books I've written, I got asked to be in a documentary that was happening in New York. And then because my husband had written a book while we were in Italy, he got invited to be on that same documentary. So we flew everybody back and hung out in the East Coast and we uh, were part of this documentary. And then we took another couple, week or so, week and a half uh, to come back. So we were gone a total of maybe seven months or so. And then we came back, you know, and we didn't have any money to start over, really. We didn't have, um, you know, we didn't have a home. (laughs) All of our stuff was in storage. And we're just like, all right, where can we house sit? And so we did house sitting for a couple of months. Like, we just kind of made it work, you know? Because I think where you have an intention to make something work, you do the work and you create the magic to have that thing come about. And as you called it, a magical healing adventure, your life, your family's life, your kids' lives will never, ever be the same mm-hmm. because you were willing to take that risk. And you're on the far end of the spectrum of risk. I mean, I don't, very few, I say very few families would do that, but you have opened my eyes to a lot more crazy, weird people like you that <laughs> do that kind of stuff, right? Um And I'll put those resources in the show notes, but I know you are part of a group called World Schooling. Mm -hmm. Maybe just tell people just briefly about that, that, you know, want to kind of dip their toe in this world. They can kind of lurk from a distance before they jump in. Yeah, it's a really brave place uh, filled with brave people who I think get um, either tired of settling for a life that feels comfortable, but not alive or or maybe the rigors of trying to work, you know, a two family income and and still be scraping by and, or having kids disconnected because of technology or whatever it is that they, that is their kind of bummed out that life is this way. There's those people. And then there are the like true adventurers who started off like, Oh, I just have always wanted to follow my heart. And now I'm following my heart with kids, you know? And so I think you have the cross section of that, um, group of people. And then they've come together in this place where world schoolers are all about people using traveling as a means of learning. And so it's saying the classroom really isn't confined to four walls. It is as far as the, you know, the corners of the earth. So that is what they do. And so they come together and they share, Hey, this is how we make money on the road. Hey, this is how, this is the best place to be. If you're going to go into Malaysia and you want to stay there for six weeks. Oh, what if you want to do slow travel? What if you want to do fast travel? What if you want to don't want to change your life that dramatically, but you really want to change the way you travel for those two weeks of vacation from your regular job a year. And you want to bring your kids or you know, all those kind of groovy, great questions, that's a place to ask them. Lainey Liberty was a huge inspiration for me, uh, what she did by leaving, um, taking off from her marketing job and her staff of people. And when the economy turned, she just saw the writing on the wall and it gave her a new opportunity to ask, what do I want? And she had her son with her and um, I think he was nine years old and she pulled him out of school and she just did this big grand adventure and she's been traveling ever since and inspiring others about it too. I think one of the things that you have opened my eyes to is that I assume life is supposed to be a certain way. Um, it, whether it's education or job or the foods that we eat or the things that we do with our time, whether we have the lights on or not, um, you probably have like a whole closet of white shorts for your kids. Uh, right. There's an assumption probably more based on your home of origin and what you grew up with on what is appropriate or normal. And yet 
our normal is only what we've grown up with. It's like other people around the globe have totally different normals. And I think what can be risky for one person is just normal for another. Absolutely. And I think by opening our eyes to what other people do, it's just mind blowing because it, 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 I can almost live a little bit vicariously, just a little bit through other people and go, man, I wouldn't even have thought of doing that. I wouldn't have thought of putting all my stuff in storage and going to Italy. Like that's, that blows my mind. That's amazing. Now I don't get the payoff of doing it. Like I don't get all the benefits, but I can just have my mind open to the possibility by being exposed to how you did it. When, when we, um, close ourselves off from risk, you know, when we mitigate risk, when we avoid risk, when we don't look at other perspectives or ideas in the world, what would you say, you know, what would you say we're missing out on? Like, what, what would you say that people are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to speak to the person who's listened thus far, probably because they're going, I wish I could be that person. I wish I could do that. You know, a lot of people say that I wish I could just be that person. Like, what would you say to them to go, you've, you've been very compelling of what you get out of it. What are you, yeah. What are you missing out on? What are you missing out on? If you, if you don't move towards some sort of risk, even if it's small. Mm. You know, I just heard um, Dr. Christiane Northrup talking this week, and she said, it's not the things that we don't know that we regret. It's the things that we do know and had a sense that we were supposed to do, and we didn't listen to that voice. We didn't do it. And so what I think we miss out on by not risking is we miss out on encountering us, and we're really remarkable. And we don't... I don't know that we really encounter our full amazingness and awesomeness when we are sitting in the seat of comfort. And so I think we miss out on encountering us at deeper levels with deeper joy, with greater self-expression, which is what makes us feel so alive to be able to have a thought and to be able to say that thought and to have that thought make a positive difference in the world or to take an action based on inspiration and have that make a difference in the world. I think we miss the reciprocity and the exchange and the flow of, of what's out there that really is electrifying in life that makes us feel that sense of aliveness. I remember when I was sitting with Melanie Green, she's the, she was the wife to Keith Green, who was a famous musician, and he died in a plane crash, of all things, ironically. And um, I had kind of a, I, this is a great story in my book, too, but I had the encounter of listening to his music when I was 12 years old, and I was like, so moved by his music. And I said, one day, I'm going to meet him, and I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to be able to be his friend. And, you know, a 12-year-old's dream because she was so touched by this artist. And then I heard, you know, a year later that he had died in a plane crash. And I was crushed because I was like, oh, my God, I can't. I'm not going to be able to meet him. And then I, I made a new intention. One day I'm going to meet his wife and she's going to be my friend. And 20 years later, I'm recording on a CD project that's benefiting South Sudan. And I'm sitting in this auditorium or hotel conference auditorium kind of space in Los Angeles with a room of like 700 people and I'm singing the song, making this presentation. And I, I walk out after I'm done singing and speaking and, and this woman with this, you know, strong nose and big smile and crooked tooth. She, you know, like over her uh, one tooth over another, she just said that little crooked smile. She comes up to me and goes, Oh my God, you are on fire. And she wraps her arms around me and, and I, I have no idea who this stranger is, but she's just like, I think we're related. I love you. Like she's just being so adorable. And I stand back out of the hug and I put my hand out to shake and I said, hi, I don't know you. I'm Stacy Robbins. And she said, puts her hand in mine and says, hi, I'm Melody Green, Keith's wife. The person who I had intended to meet and be friends with 20 years before is standing in front of me, you know, and just a moment before I had her arms wrapped around me. Well, we ended up becoming friends and I ended up traveling to her home and sitting at Keith's piano with his album covers behind me, like crazy, crazy. Right. And, and while I was sitting there, I said, Mel, I, I just, I feel like I want to make a change in my life. I feel like I want to leave music for a while. And I really want to go and speak and encourage women and write books. 
And she listened to me and I thought she was going to say I was crazy because I had success in this area that most people would die to have success in. Right. And I had had a nice career and good following. And she just said, Stacy, you have to do what's alive to you. And so I've had these seeds of inspiration to do what's alive to me and to take that risk out of the comfort of what I already know and enter a world that I, that I don't know. And, you know, the interesting thing that we know about our brain is like, we are the only species that can worry, you know, birds don't worry and animals don't worry, you know, because we are the only species that can imagine. And so if you can imagine, then you project your worry forward. But what if? What if we chose to bring our intention forward and we didn't live our life in the place of safety and, and, and comfort, but what we did was we ended up risking and finding that internal trust within ourselves. I think that's the thing we experience and that's the thing we're missing out on because we create so many external comforts that we equate with safety. We miss experiencing the internal trust we have of being safe with ourselves, no matter what the circumstances that's what I think we're missing out on. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love how you said you encapsulated lots of stuff, but you said we're, we're missing out on us, mm-hmm. we're missing out on the depth of who we are if we don't engage with some sort of risk. So you are now taking women on these healing retreats uh, to Italy and you're Italian. You grew up with um, that is a huge part of your culture. And so there's something about this, this country that calls you, of course, because that's part of your heritage. Um, tell me about how is risk taking integral to that, that those those retreats that you're taking with women. You know what I mean? How is that part of that whole experience? Well, built into the intention of the retreat, you know, it's a Tuscan healing retreat or a Tuscan self care retreat. But within my intention is about transformation. So, you know. When women have an idea about what Italy is, whether it's romanticized from movies they saw when they were younger or people who they've read about who've taken adventures over to Italy, and they have within their imagination or their thought ideas of, oh my gosh, I would love to paint watercolor on the hills of Tuscany and to sip wine from the Chianti region. And while I'm noshing on sheep's milk from Umbria and eating olives from Fiesole, like they have these ideas of what it is. And so when they encounter the opportunity that I present of going to Italy and having a personal chef and having going to thermal waters, ancient thermal waters and having mud massages and going to beautiful villages and learning about the history and seeing where St. Francis walked or, or doing art or energy healing over there. Women are just like, Oh my gosh, this would be my dreams coming true. Right. Yoga. Don't forget yoga. Yoga. Yes. There's yoga. Thank you. (laughs) And so they hear about this and they go, this is exactly what I've been wanting and even more. And so they sign up for it. And here's the thing. As soon as we put an inspired yes out in the universe and we put that energy along with the energy of money into the commitment that we're making, now we have signed up for all of what that that retreat encompasses. And for me, it encompasses transformation because I'm wired to inspire and transform. That is part of my my groove on this planet. And so... All of a sudden, women sign up, and that's when the realities of cold water hit them. They're like, oh, my gosh, I am so selfish. I'm, I'm leaving my children for, for nine days. I am going to be leaving my children. I am such a selfish mom. Oh, my gosh, I could have used that money on a million other things that were more sensible and reasonable. Ah, I've, I've never flown before. I'm terrified to fly. I've never traveled out of the country. I don't speak that language. What if the other women don't like me? And there's all of this confrontation that comes as soon as we commit to something via inspiration. And that's where like the risk meets the road. That's where you get to experience what's inside of you, right? Because you made a risk taking commitment and you get to experience what's inside of you. And then what you do, what you discover is what, and this is before you've ever called the airline, by the way. This is before you've ever booked the ticket, you know what I mean, to, to go out there. This is even before you probably have all the information. You've followed your inspiration so strongly. And now that you've committed 
this is when the reality hits of, I made a decision and there are other things I didn't consider. But that's what risk-taking does. It gives you the opportunity. Remember your brain, you're standing on the edge of the inside of the plane. Your brain does different things because now you're experiencing commitment to your dreams. And so they call me, oh my God, Stacey, I'm I'm afraid to fly. And you know what I get to tell them? I was there. I remember being there. Let's talk. And the coaching and the transformation and all these years of experience that I have of supporting women because I had to journey myself to support me and learn and love me, I get to use in that moment. So the retreat doesn't really start when you land on the Italian soil. It starts at the moment you say yes and put that energy of resource behind it. And then what happens now you're confronted with the, oh my gosh, but what, what if my parents who are aging die while I'm gone? I mean, we, these were real life situations that we were, women were asking me about. And so that's where the transformation and, and the risk-taking take place. And then what happens is these women get their hand held by me, and then I intro- help introduce them to themselves and go, you can do this. Because at some point, I'm not getting on the plane with them. At some point, even though I held their hand to make the airline reservation, they have to get on that plane. And you know what they get by taking that risk? They get to encounter their bravery and the grace of the universe and the kindness of strangers and all of those things that now add to their experience so that by the time they get to me, they've already experienced a transformation that their soul has been longing for. And then we get to retreat together. And it's so powerful and it's so beautiful. And um, yeah, I kind of get off on that because it's, it's my jam. Yeah, know? it's amazing. And each woman then is experiencing a different outcome. Because even though they're experiencing the same thing on the outside, right? I mean, they're going through these experiences or food or gluten-free experiences and chef and beautiful atmosphere. There's always something different happening on the inside, whatever that transformation is. Sure, because every woman has something inside of them that's been drawing for some kind of release or some kind of new perspective or new trust. And that's different for every woman. And so, like you said, for one woman who feels safe, uh, risk is different for different people. So it was a different risk for different people. And so as a result, there's going to be a different provocation for each person. For some person, it might be spending the money. For another person, it might be flying inter- uh, traveling internationally. For another person, it might be being with a group of women that they're a peer to when they're normally the leader of a bunch of men in their business. You know, like it could be, it, it, something's going to get provoked differently for each woman. But I have them on the first night set the intention of why are you here? What is the result you want to have? by the end of the week. And they write it in their their journal on the first night. And then I do guided journaling all throughout the week. And we do stream of consciousness journaling all week. And it's so amazing that even though women got there in a different way, they all met their intention. By the time we get to the end of that week, they've met their intention. But you know what's super cool too? The retreat doesn't end. Just the same way it didn't start when you landed in Italy, it doesn't end when you get back on the plane to go home because your commitment to transformation now has new momentum and you have new rhythms and you have a new space of honoring who you are inside of yourself. So you continue evolving way long after you leave. If somebody can't necessarily imagine what those types of intentions would be, you know, the transformation that somebody would want, what are some sample possible intentions that you have heard people say at the beginning of the retreat and then experienced, you know, obviously without breaking confidence, but just some, some, you know, open our minds to the possibility of that type of intention. Yeah. So some people have the intention of really caring for themselves and unplugging for a week and learning what it is to honor themselves because they've been taking care of their kids nonstop or whatever that is. Some people have the intention of um, releasing pain from relationships. Um, Some people have the intention of being brave going forward, having to take care of some new diagnoses in their life and they, that they were confronted with. And they're looking for a place to reflect and, and kind of access their bravest self as they have to step forward into some unknown territory. 
Um, there are women who come and say, I want to bond with other women. That's my greatest intention. Some people like, I want to be able to be a different version of myself that I can't be because everybody knows me the way that I usually am at home. And I want to practice being a part of myself I haven't explored. So those are some, just a sampling of some of the intentions. Mm -hmm. I know you've got a couple of retreats coming up here at the time of this recording is 2019. So you've got a couple of retreats coming up that uh, we want to make sure people are aware of and we'll link to those in the show notes. Is there a particular URL or dates that you wanted to share with people right now? If they go to stacyrobbins.com, which I know you'll have the link for, then they click on travel and retreats. They get the option between a country girl retreat and a city girl retreat for this year. We have, um, the Tuscan hillside where you get to be out in the country in a gorgeous villa. And then we have a city girl retreat in Florence where you get to experience what it's like to live like a local, live like a tourist, experience the art, music, culture, massages, and beautiful history of, of the Renaissance area of Florence. And then out in the country, you're going to know what it is to be out in those thermal waters and to be in the hillside and to have a different peace and and experience of what grows in those different regions that we'll be exploring. So it's just, it's just, I'm smiling and looking out in a faraway place right now. For those of you who can't see me, I've kind of wandered off to Italy right now because it's really special. I'm still waiting for the city guy retreat. <laughs> okay. I'll keep you posted. Yet. <laughs> hey, you never know what 2019 holds. All right. So one last question for you. If somebody is listening to this and going, okay, I want to start taking risks. I don't know where to start. I want to be responsible. I'm kind of that responsible person. Maybe um, I, going to Italy on a retreat, that's really overwhelming or a foreign country. Like help me, help me have some suggestions, Stacy. Like what, what would you suggest I start with? Well, like we talked about a couple of times, you know, risk isn't the same for everyone. I'm not telling you to take everything out of your retirement and, and go to Vegas, you know, in one big roulette spin. You know, that's not what I'm suggesting. It's not about <clears throat> adding stress to your life. I mean, risk-taking has stress to your life, but it's about adding value to your life. And so um, it's, and the things that are valuable are the things that matter to you, that are inspiring to you. And so I would say that place to start with is your intention. I am willing to experience more of myself. I'm willing to know me better. I'm willing to be more connected to me through some adventurous channels. And I think when you set that intention, then opportunities open up to you or your eyes open up to the opportunities that are there already and that you haven't seen because your intention didn't put the lens on you to see it. And so I think the first step is creating intention. And then the second thing that I would give, if it were a coaching client, I would say, take out a piece of paper and write on top of it with your handwriting. Don't, don't do typing. There's something visceral about just sitting down and writing and being connected um, to write on top. My inspiration is, and then start making a list, like allow yourself to get inspired and go, what? What does inspire me? And to sit in those awkward moments of going, I don't even know if I've asked that because I've been so busy going, what is the responsible thing to do? Or what does my family need of me? Or what am I supposed to do to set myself up for my future and my retirement? Like we've been asking questions from so many different angles. We haven't asked ourselves in a long time sometimes, what do I want? What makes me happy? What makes me feel more of me? And so anything that falls in that category would fall under what inspiration is. So make a list of that and let, allow yourself to be present to that and then commit yourself to being open to it. So I would start with those kind of explorations and intention first and then a list making of what inspires you. And then I might look for the themes. What are the themes in there that inspire me? Is it engagement with people? Have I isolated myself or have I stayed within one culture group so much that I haven't expanded? Like, do I is the theme that I want to be around people is the theme that, um, I want to, uh, do more daring physical things. Is it, is it that I want to take my health to the next level is, you know, it, does it inspire me to think about dancing with my children, um, or meeting my grandchildren one day? And I want to make decisions that foster and support that. And maybe I'll have to eat differently. Maybe my big risk is eating differently at the company luncheons, you know, and, that, but it's for a goal. So now when you make that list you, and you have that intention, you've set your eye on inspiration. And within that, then you can decide what amount of risk would be involved to 
to activate that inspiration. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so I know that you've got a couple of retreats coming up. You also do coaching of women and couples uh, really around the globe. You have you have clients around the globe. And so um, if people are interested in that, they go to your website, S-T-A-C-E-Y, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. And I know you're on all the social medias, so people can find you there. So thank you, Stacy, for sharing some amazing risk-taking women. And we'll, we'll do this again with another topic. I love that. Thank you, David, for what you're doing. This is awesome. If you've been inspired or learned something from this episode, do yourself a favor and tell a friend. By sharing a learning with someone else, you'll actually be solidifying it in your own mind and heart and more likely to implement it in your own life. Tell them about our conversation and let them know that they can listen to the Inspiration Rising podcast on the iTunes podcast app on their phone. Check out our website at www.insporising.com. That's I-N-S-P-O rising.com and on all social media platforms as Inspo Rising. Now, as you go out about your day, may you be inspired to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. I'll talk to you next time.